Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here today. As mentioned earlier, this morning is our final week focusing on Christian spiritual disciplines. These are time-tested and biblically warranted practices that God uses to grow his people in godliness. And we said it throughout this sermon series. We say it again because it's really that important. We do not do these things to make God love us more. Rather, we do them to learn to love him more. These are tools that God has given us for our maturity, our holiness, and our formation. They help us live like the people God has declared us to be by his grace. They help us live like the people God created us to be to begin with. Now we've looked at six disciplines so far. First was prayer, calling on the name of the Lord. Then we talked about rest for our good. Bible study to better understand who God is. Silence and solitude to focus our hearts and our minds on God. Stewardship to learn that God is our true treasure. And fasting to remember that we depend on God even more than food. Now, all of these disciplines present their own unique challenges. And while they may not always come naturally to us, we trust that God has laid them down for our good. And while these disciplines can certainly be difficult, I mean, they are called disciplines for a reason. Take heart. God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us walk this path of obedience to him. We do not do this by our own strength. And we do not do this alone. But up to this point, our disciplines are all things that... You can, theoretically, do alone. Now, I'm certainly not saying that you should practice all of them on your own, away from other people, away from the body of Christ. But you can. However, our final discipline bucks that trend. Today's is inherently communal. And like a couple of the other habits that we've discussed, it may not immediately come to mind when you think of the classic or conventional spiritual disciplines. That's because today's spiritual discipline is hospitality. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Feel free to follow along as we go. Use one of our Bibles if you need it. Take it home if you don't have one. But before we go further, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that this time together would be beneficial for us, would be helpful for us. Regardless of how we're coming in here, whether things are going well or things are going poorly, whether we're coming out of a valley or going into a valley or right smack in the middle of it, whatever baggage we bring with us here today, I pray that we would focus our hearts and our minds and our eyes on you today. Give us ears to hear what your word has to say to us. Some of us need to be challenged. Some of us need to be convicted. Some of us need to be comforted. And Lord, I know that your word can do all of those things. 
And so I pray that your word would do just that as we hear it preached, as we read it in our hands. And Lord, I pray again that our worship would be honoring to you. As important as it is for us to come here and be challenged and convicted and comforted and encouraged and whatever else we get out of this, it's incredibly important that we glorify you with what we say and do today. And so I pray that our worship service would do just that and that you in your kindness and your grace and your patience would accept this inevitably imperfect act of worship from this imperfect church on this Sunday morning and that it would be pleasing to you. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the God of the Bible is hospitable. He's hospitable. The world belongs to him. We talked about that in more detail in that sermon on stewardship a couple of weeks back. But God made us. God has welcomed us and invited us. To inhabit the world that he made. We see that in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. You know, God did not need to make anything outside of himself. He wasn't missing anything. He wasn't lacking anything. But in his grace, God creates human beings. He creates birds and animals and creeping things. And he places them on this world that he has made and allows us to call it Home. He even gives us a meal. That's the definition of hospitality. Later in the Old Testament, God once again gives his people a home. He promises the nation of Israel the gift of the promised land. In Deuteronomy 1, 6 through 8, after a 40-year wait brought about by their own sin. God calls the Israelites to finally enter Canaan. God had promised that land to their forefathers generations earlier. And God keeps his promises. Now, in some ways, that promised land would be like a new Garden of Eden. The place we just read about in Genesis 1. But the main point for now is simple. 
God is hospitable. And because God is hospitable, God's people are called to practice hospitality as well. We read God talk about this in his law, Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God drives that point home later in Leviticus 25, 23. He says, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. We are guests in God's creation. Therefore, we are kind to the guests around us. Because God is hospitable, God's people are called to be hospitable as well. We are to remember the kindness, the generosity, the welcome that God has shown us and extend the same to others. Of all people, the nation of Israel, the people who spent 400 years in slavery and another 40 wandering the wilderness ought to understand what it's like to not have a home and thus be willing to share their home with others. And we are part of that same story. At its core, hospitality is kindness to strangers, which you don't have to be a homeowner to be kind to strangers. God is kind. He's generous. He's welcoming to strangers. So if we claim to be his people, then so are we. But let's get more specific. What else does scripture teach about the spiritual discipline of hospitality? Well, there are a few more angles to consider. First, hospitality was a cardinal virtue in the ancient world. Now, it was not practiced naively. There were ways of screening out potential threats and healthy limits where necessary. But in the ancient world, if someone came to you in peace and they needed a meal and a bed, you bent over backwards to give it to them. It was shameful not to. Some considered hospitality a sacred duty. Many viewed it as a necessary practice if one hoped to gain future reward from the gods. In the Greco-Roman world, Zeus, the chief pagan god, was the god of hospitality. It was really important. That carries over into the pages of scripture as well. With perhaps Genesis 18 and 19 being the most famous or maybe most infamous passage regarding hospitality. In Genesis 18, Abraham and Sarah welcome three strangers to their home. They don't hesitate to give these men a chance to rest, wash up, and enjoy a meal. But only after they've been there for a while do they learn that these three strangers are no ordinary travelers. Rather, they are messengers from God. 
And as it turns out, they aren't really men at all. Scripture describes them as angels. In fact, one of the three may be a vision of God himself. But then in Genesis 19, those same messengers, two of them this time around, get a very different kind of welcome. When the angels enter the city of Sodom, only one man, Abraham's nephew Lot, gives them a place to stay. The angels even try to resist Lot's offer, which may have been a test of sorts, but Lot insists. But when the men of Sodom learn that two strangers have come into town, they try to beat down Lot's door to give them a less than virtuous welcome in the form of rape. In short, Sodom fails the test of hospitality. And God destroys the city for it. Only Lot and his children survive that judgment. Now, Genesis 18 and 19 might seem like just another odd, disturbing Old Testament story that we probably shouldn't talk about much on Sunday mornings. But the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And hospitality matters in the New Testament as well. I mean, think about it. Jesus' ministry as an itinerant preacher made him regularly dependent upon the hospitality of others. The same is true of the apostles when Jesus sent them out to do ministry on their own. Jesus even tells his disciples what to do if someone refuses to show them hospitality Matthew 10:14 and 15 Jesus says If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town Truly I say to you it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah we just read about that than for that town Jesus The apostles, Paul, countless other missionaries, both then and now, depend upon the hospitality of others to fulfill their callings, to accomplish their mission. Speaking of Paul, we read in Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In James chapter 2, Christians are warned against the temptation to show hospitality to some, but not others. We might identify that as favoritism. He adds in verses 14 through 17 that if a brother or sister in Christ comes to us in need, and we offer them a shallow prayer, but not hospitality, then what good is that? James says, faith without works is dead. 
And hospitality is one of those works. We read in Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Most commentators think that's referring back to Genesis 18. Abraham, Sarah, the three messengers. When you think about it that way, all of a sudden it makes you a little more hospitable. That the stranger I see on the street could be an angel. Jesus even teaches in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, that when we show compassion and kindness for the least of his disciples, then in a roundabout way, we're doing it for him. And if we neglect to show such hospitality, you can probably follow the logic. Then we're neglecting to show it to him as well. And what's one of the qualifications for elders that Paul mentions in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1? Hospitality. Scripture makes it very clear in all kinds of places that hospitality is an important and expected practice among God's people. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. That our God is hospitable. And as people made in his image, called by his name, redeemed by his grace, justified by his son, and indwelt by his spirit, so are we. But practically speaking, what might that look like? Well, let's start with the easy part. And that's what we're doing right now. The Sunday morning gathering. Be welcoming. Be inviting. Go out of your way to make others feel at home when they come here, especially if they're new. This is important enough to us that we have something about it in our membership covenant. We encourage, we ask, we expect that members of this church are going to invite the unchurched to attend and give a warm welcome to guests. Now, generally speaking, I think our church is pretty good at this. I think that's one of the advantages of being a small church. However, we're not perfect. I know for a fact that not every single person who visits our church leaves feeling like they were welcome. So what is it that we can do as followers of Christ, as members of this church, to make people feel at home When they come through these doors. But now let's get to the slightly more difficult venue. And that is our literal homes. Part of the reason most of our small groups meet in people's houses and not here. Is that we all know there's a higher level of intimacy and community. When someone welcomes you into their home. As we've seen throughout several passages this morning. Meals can be an additional level of hospitality. Now, I don't know about you, but this kind of hospitality can be hard for me. Many of us are introverts who prefer our privacy. And after two years of COVID, we may be a little bit rusty at opening our homes to others. And let's be honest, when people come to your house, they leave dirty dishes. And their kids make messes. (laughs) 
And it's annoying. But as hard as it is, it's worth it. It's worth it. This is a practice put down by God himself to welcome people into our homes that God has blessed us with. And if you don't have a home of your own, then get creative. Find a different way to show kindness to strangers, to be hospitable. Now let's talk about people, namely being hospitable to fellow believers. That was a core practice of the early church. Those beautiful images of the church that we see in Acts chapter 2 and 4 show hospitality at its best. Brothers and sisters in Christ sharing their possessions, their food, their homes, and their lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, The believer feels no shame, as though he were still living too much in the flesh, when he yearns for the physical presence of other Christians. If there is so much blessing and joy, even in a single encounter of brother with brother or sister with sister, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. We show hospitality to each other as siblings in Christ because we need each other. We need each other's presence and not just for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning or even another hour at some point later in the week. And as you may have expected, how do we show hospitality to non-believers? Well, right or wrong, fair or unfair, many non-believers in our day and age have a bad impression of Christians. On top of that, we live in a world where people already feel incredibly polarized, tense, and suspicious of one another. So maybe the best place to start if we're trying to share the gospel with a neighbor, a friend, a family member, a co-worker who doesn't believe, is not to give them arguments, not to give them proofs, not to shove a Bible in their face. The time will come for arguments and proofs and scripture. But maybe the best place to start is hospitality, kindness, love, Generosity. Rosaria Butterfield was a non-believer, extremely successful, 100% convinced in her atheism for most of her life. But she eventually became a Christian. And she attributes the starting point of that conversion not to arguments, not to proofs, not to someone shoving a Bible down her throat, but by believers in Christ opening their homes to her welcoming her, loving her unconditionally, having her over during good times and bad times, feeding her. She always attributes hospitality as the first thing that softened her heart and opened her mind to the gospel. She even went on to write a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key because she believes hospitality is that important. So let's be strategic with our homes, 
with our possessions, with our time, to welcome other people into our lives so that we might share the gospel with them. Now, are there limits to hospitality? Of course there are. We shouldn't naively put ourselves or our families in harm's way. On top of that, we have to recognize that we only have so much time, so much space, so many resources. Thus, there's only so much that we can do. And yes, there are also risks to hospitality that are unavoidable, even if we do everything right. But we can't get around the fact that our God is hospitable. And as a result, so are we. Whether it's at church, at home, with believers, with non-believers, with those like us and those unlike us. Again, it won't always be easy. In that sense, hospitality really is a discipline. But this practice can grow us in godliness. And it can benefit those around us. Now we saw a couple of examples of God's hospitality earlier. He created a home for humanity in the Garden of Eden. He gave Israel a promised land. But the best proof of God's hospitality isn't just a couple of Old Testament stories. It's the grand biblical story of God's redemption of sinful people in a fallen world. The story that we are a part of as followers of Christ. Right after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they were kicked out. Now that might not sound very hospitable, at least until you read the rest of the story. Until you realize that this entire book ultimately revolves around God addressing our problem of sin on our behalf so that we could return to his presence where we truly belong. So that we could once again come home. That redemption is accomplished by none other than Jesus Christ. The perfect living and breathing example of God's hospitality. The only means by which we can be welcomed back into God's presence. God shows his hospitality by sending Christ to dwell among us. In order that we might dwell with him in eternity. Again, spiritual disciplines are hard. The ones we've talked about for the past six weeks. The one we've talked about this morning. But is there anything worth doing that isn't hard? So may we accept Paul's challenge in 1 Timothy 4, 7. Physical training is of some value, but may we train ourselves for godliness through the habits and the practices that God has laid down for us. With the Father's grace, for the Son's glory, and by the Spirit's power, May we incorporate these disciplines into our lives, both for our good, for God's glory, and for the benefit of those around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. 
Thank you for the challenge of scripture. Thank you for passages like Romans 12, which I often find myself thinking that I should read on a daily basis because it calls us to be the people who you've declared us to be. By your grace, by Christ's body and Christ's blood, we are forgiven. We are saved. We are adopted. We are servants in your kingdom. So, Lord, help us live like it. Help us be the people you've declared us to be. Help us be the saints you've declared us to be. And part of that is doing the things that you call us to do. So, Lord, I pray that you would empower us to do that. All the disciplines we've talked about in the sermon series, hospitality. Lord, help us be thoughtful. Help us be creative. Help us be generous about how these disciplines may fit into our lives. And more importantly, how we can fit our lives around who you are and what you call us to do. Lord, again, we love you. Thank you for the hospitality that you have shown us, giving us a world to live in, giving us more than we need. Lord, I pray that we would be hospitable to those around us in response, not just for their good, but out of worship for you. And Lord, let us long for and look forward to the day when we are in your presence again, when we are truly home. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.